Drive Conference Series Podcast. To find out more, go to littlemountainministries.com. What a good day it's been. And now we have the challenge, don't we? So I got a phone call about um, six weeks ago from a group over in Florence wanting me to come over there tonight and hypnotize them. I'm a hypnotist. Some people know that. No. So I um, told them I couldn't do it. I said, I just can't do it. I've about stopped doing that. I've been doing it for 30 years now. I've about stopped doing it. They said, can you recommend some other kind of entertainment for us? We're having a banquet for our juniors and seniors. I gave them a couple of names, and a week later they called me back and said, are you sure you can't come? I said, well, I looked at my schedule. I said, I'm speaking in, full, in Decatur that day. And I said, I will have already put some people to sleep that day, so I'll have a good opening. I'll be ready for it. So we're good. It's a hard part of the day, isn't it? This is a hard part of the day. I'll do my very best to keep your attention, but if you doze off and don't mind me calling you out, we'll be good, all right? <laughs> all right, so we're in, we're in 1 Timothy. We're not going to make it to Titus, I can already tell you that. We closed uh, in 1 Timothy, the last section in verse 8, and we looked as we were closing, I want to, sh- I want to drop down to verse 13 and 14, but before we go there, I want to uh, remind us what we close with, and that is that preaching ought to make me a better person. I'm trying to remember how long ago it was that I got that phone call from a freshman Bible major at Fried Hardeman that called and said, in my class, we're having to interview a preacher to talk to them about the life of preaching. And I told him I wanted to talk to you. And I did not know at the time the young man lied to me. What the actual assignment was, was find an older preacher. (laughs) Yeah, that's how it worked. But he asked me a lot of questions. And one of the questions he asked me is, why do you preach? And that's a hard question, isn't it? There are so many reasons I preach. But I want to be transparent with you and tell you one of the reasons I preach is because I don't know what my life would be like if I did not. I'm a better person because I preach. Preaching ought to make you a better person. Um, I know guys, I don't think it makes them better people. Preaching has made me, I, I have to watch my life in ways, and you know, Paul's going to tell that to Timothy three times in these chapters. Consider your life. Consider your manner of living. Consider your example. Be an example. I've got to watch my life. And there are things I would do that I can't do because I'm a preacher. Brother Jerry, I like a good bargain, okay? I love to dicker. When I go on a mission trip to a foreign country, I become the guy that does all the dickering when we go to the shops to buy stuff. I love to dicker. I love a bargain. But I tell you, the reputation of preachers as to wanting a deal, some of them who go in, well, I'm a preacher. Do you have a preacher break? They lessen their influence with that. So I don't ask for a deal. I've got a guy right now working my car, and I told him, I want you to charge him whatever you charge anybody else. 
Because I don't want him to think that I, I should get a special discount because I'm a preacher. I don't want to have that reputation. There are other things. That's just an example. There are things you can't do. It makes me a better person. Um, if you're an elder, being an elder ought to make you a better person, not a worse person. And there are hardships you're going to face as a leader. I'm, Jerry, I don't want to get in your area. But there are hardships you're going to face if you're an elder. But if it didn't make you a better person, you ought to step back away from it and consider what it's doing in your life and work toward being a better person. Don't resign. Work toward being a better person because you're an elder. Figure out how to become better. Same for you as a, as a, as a preacher. So it makes me a better person. So verses 13 and 14, we're not going to spend a lot of time here. Uh, but if you would, just uh, look at it for just a second and, um, and consider what Paul says here in this section because I think it is definitely worth our consideration. Verse, um, man, I hate to do this, but let's, go, let's jump back up to verse 9. In like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness. Remember we said yesterday that is not a shame that you're a woman. It's the proper spirit and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. In other words, to summarize that verse, don't dress in a way that it brings attention to you as a woman. You're trying to exalt Christ, not yourself. But that which professes women, uh, that, but, but which becomes women, professing godliness with good works. And then verse 11 and 12, that's been somewhat of contention. Let the women learn in silence and all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach or usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. One of the hotbed issues right now in Church of Christ has seemed to become whether women can preach and lead in worship or not. The text could not be more clear. And if you have to work your way around a text to make it say something it doesn't say, the first rule of interpretation says you're incorrect on that. You accept a text at its face value immediately. And if there's a reason not to, then you consider those reasons not to. But this is not one of those occasions. And to those who say, well, Paul was just a chauvinist, it's always interesting me, the very people who say Paul was a chauvinist, their favorite verse is Galatians 3, 28, where they say, Paul said there was, no, there was neither male nor female. That's their favorite justification. That means Paul said women can preach. And interesting, you're using the very person that you just said was a chauvinist to prove your point. That's not the point. <laughs> And to those who are saying he's just speaking to culture, read the next verse. Eve was deceived first. He ties this all the way back to creation. But this is not a section on women's role in the church, and I didn't want it to be, but I wanted to note that since it's in the text we're looking at. Verse, uh, chapter, let's skip to chapter 3. Verse 1, this saying is trustworthy. Don't you love the trustworthy, the worthy of all acceptation te text in First uh, and Second Timothy? If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must. Now, again, this is not my area, but uh, uh, this is the area of our elders. But I do want to say something here because it's a question that comes up quite often among ministers. What do you do about appointing elders? And I often tell elders, you know, the only verse I know in the Bible that tells us directly how to appoint elders is... Paul told Titus to set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders. 
in every city in Titus chapter 1. So the only text I know where it tells us how to appoint elders, it tells the preacher to do it. But it doesn't tell us how for the preacher to do that. And so we've got to be real careful. There's all sorts of reasons to consider that in light of the other verses. But how are you going to go about doing this? Well, the first qualification for an elder is not verse 1. I've heard that over and over again in my life. And I know some good men who could serve well, who are great leaders, who are highly respected, who love the Lord, and who would be elders, but they say, I don't desire the office. And I shouldn't be an elder because I don't desire the office. Now, I'm not saying you force a man into the office. Don't, don't quote me there. But that the text does not say as a qualification. The text says... It has a parenthetical statement. Therefore, if a man desire the office of an elder, he desires a good thing. That's just what it says. He's desiring a good thing. Uh, most of many of the men, not most of the men, many of the men I know who have desired the office have been some of the worst candidates I've ever seen. Notice the next statement in the verse. Therefore, and the old preacher said, anytime you see the therefore, you ought to see what it's there for. Therefore, an overseer must. And then he begins to give the qualifications. That is a statement of fact that therefore separates it from the qualifications and qualities. Now, how many of you have ever sat through a class or a series of lessons on the qualifications of elders? How many of you have done that? Have you ever sat with everybody in here? Keep your hand up for just a, a moment or two. How many of you thoroughly enjoy those classes? Keep your hand up if you do. i got a couple of you. Most of you don't. My wife instructs me to let her know when I'm going to be preaching on that so she can be out of town. She said, I can read the text. I've heard it preached enough. I know what it says. It is a challenge because it is so very vital that we spend some time talking about it. It is extremely important. Preaching about the qualifications may be monotonous, but it is vital. And so I'm talking to preachers. Let me give you a suggestion of how to approach that maybe in a different standard next time you do it. Maybe talk about the whys behind the what. Why are the qualifications there? Everybody can take their own lexicon and figure out what blameless means and tell you six different words for the word blameless. They've got a thesaurus too. But what about the qualities behind the qualifications? Why does, a man not to be, why does a man need to be not quick to anger? Why does a man need to have a good reputation among those that are out? Why does a man need to be able to rebuke the gainsayer? Why does a man need to be an elder? All the whys behind it. Verse 10. He's moved into talking about deacons now, and he says, let these first be proven. Maybe it's not true in the congregations you've worked with, but it's been true in every congregation I've worked with that we get this backward. We put a man in the role of deacon and we say, let him prove himself and maybe be an elder someday. I've seen that. I've heard that before. That's not what the text says. It says before you make a man a deacon, he needs to be proven. You need to check that out a little closer. And so what our elders have done within the last two years is they've said, we're, we're changing this process. We're going to put a man in a role and say, here's what you've got to do. And if you do the job well, then we'll make him a deacon. But we're not going to make him a deacon to give him something to do or because he's, excuse me, proven he can procreate or because he's got some amazing ability that we think he won't, or, or amazing inability that we think he won't be faithful or leave the church if we don't make him a deacon. 
Let these be proven first. Verse 14. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things so that you, so, uh, to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the buttress, the ground of truth. Chapter 4, verse 6. If you put these things, therefore, uh, before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. He's just listed several things, and everyone I want you to notice. The measure of a good servant, and I would say the measure of a good preacher, is if he preaches God's truth without reservation. If he puts God's truth in front of people. Sadly, I've heard some preachers in my life who have said, well, you know, if I say that, I'll get fired. And it's truth that they're avoiding saying because they're afraid they'll get fired. And I would say to you, get fired. Because your job is to preach truth. Now, it's not your job to be mean. If the elders say, we don't need you to preach on X right now, and they say, because we're dealing with this, and we think right now is not the best time to approach that, they're the elders. Accept that, and they may be wiser than you are. In fact, I hope they're wiser than you are. But if they say, don't ever preach on this subject because it's, it's a hotbed and we don't... You better be careful, you know, you better watch out. You're in a bad place, bad situation there. Uh, You've got to preach God's truth to people, and you've got to preach it very clearly. Uh, Don't have that attitude. You know, that's not the brotherhood stance, so I'm not going to teach that. I don't care what the brotherhood stance is. What's God's stance? What's his word say about a matter? You know, uh, one of the things that's caused a lot of problems in the church today, in, in, in Dale's opinion, and this is opinion, and Dell's opinion is brothers who f- follow a party line not because they believe it, but because it's what's convenient for them. And they don't study the scriptures for themselves. And therefore they don't know truth. And at some point they get frustrated and they start teaching all sorts of things rather than the truth because they've never studied the truth to figure out it, to figure out what the truth is. So he says, you've got to put these, the brethren in remembrance of these things. Chapter 5, we're moving now, aren't we? Chapter 5. Look at verse 1. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. And there it is, folks. Preacher, how he's supposed to to treat elders, older ladies, and younger ladies. That verse by itself ought to be highlighted in your Bible if you're a minister. That verse would cover so much of where we see young preachers stumble. Those elders, those older men in the church, it's not a matter if you agree with them or you like them or you know more than they know or you have more experience than they have. They're the elders. And you're to treat them with respect. Encourage him as you would a father. Would you talk to your dad that way? Would you talk about your dad that way? The younger men as brothers. And then the younger women as sisters. Well, it solves a lot of problems we have in churches, I would think, among ministers. Verse uh, 17 and 18. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Um, Look at verse 10, for this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. Uh, 
I want to talk to you a minute about paying preachers. Uh, I don't know who in here is preachers, who in here is elders, who are future elders, but my experience is that most ministers are not greedy or hungry for money. I have not seen that to be the case. In fact, most ministers that I have seen are very, very sacrificial. An eldership came to uh, Jeff and I from Kentucky a few years ago and said, uh, we've got several retired ministers in our congregation. And most of these men spent their life preaching at small churches, never made a lot of money. Uh, most of them are not in a good shape financially. Most of them have no retirement. Some of them don't have a place to live. They rent because they've never bought a house because they preached at little churches, couldn't pay them very much. They ask, is there anywhere, anywhere where we can help preachers in that kind of situation? We started what we called the minister's help fund. I'm not here to sell that. But I am here to say that elder understood something about most ministers. Most of these guys are not in it for the money. They don't get into preaching for money. And, um, you know, but how do you do money as a preacher? I mean, you hire a guy and he's 22 years old and you're, you know, 65 or 70 and you've got to talk to him about money. Know this, he's scared to death of you. All he wants is a job. He wants the opportunity to stand up and tell God's word to people. And if you say, I'll pay you $50 a week, he'd probably do it. But if your job is to get a bargain, you ought to step aside as an elder. It's not your job to keep that man poor and unhappy and miserable. I know preachers that have been on food stamps and gotten fired when the elders should have been fired because they were paying them so little that they could get on food stamps. And it's a shame sometimes when we treat those guys who are ministers. I preached for a church one time that I loved and love. Where, they, where the, one of the men said, we didn't have elders, he said, I believe that the preacher ought to make one dollar less than the lowest paid man in the church. And that way he won't feel, nobody will feel inferior to him. And I said, Brother Ron, I said, I, I, I have a question. Why don't you pay me one dollar more than the highest paid man in the church? That way I could relate to everybody all the way up. <clears throat> that didn't go over too well. Uh, let me give you a standard if you're an elder or if there's an elder listening to this. Pay a man a salary, amount of money, with benefits if you want to. That if your son or your son-in-law, and if you're an elder, you've got a son or a son-in-law, was to call you and tell you, I've been offered this job and here's what they're paying, you would tell them to take it. If you tell them to run from that job, you're not paying enough. That's the best way to do that. Uh, it's better with a son-in-law than a son because you really don't care what your son makes. But if you've got a son-in-law, you say, I, that's what I want to do. And don't pay them the school teacher's salary. I've heard people say, you know, we'll start with what the school teacher makes. Well, I guess that's fine, but if you do that, make sure you give them the benefits that school teachers have and tenure, okay, after about three years. When you decide to do that, then you're all right. And summer's off, by the way. What I would advise is, when it comes to this salary thing, talk to the guy. I mean, talk to him. Find out why he needs the money he wants or needs or how much money he needs. I mean, if he's going to college and he's going to one of our good Christian colleges and one of our 
and studied to preach and he's got a degree and, and one of your qualifications to hire a preacher was that he have a degree from a Christian college and he's coming out with $80,000 or $100,000 worth of debt and that's not a lot of debt nowadays to come out of college and you pay him so little that he can't pay his college payment as well as live and buy food for his family, you need to find out what's going on there. Figure it out. Talk to the guy. Don't say this thing, well, you know... Housing, you know, you could get a house for X number of dollars. Well, first of all, don't tell them that if it's not a house you'd be willing to live in. And second, if you're 70 or 80 years old, nothing against you. I'm getting closer to you all the time. But if you're 70 or 80 years old and you bought your house and you're in your 20s or 30s and your house payment was $100 a month and you're thinking he's going to factor in $100 a month for a house payment, you need to wake up, okay, because that ain't the way it is anymore. And if you have a house and you let him live in that house, bless you for that. But put aside some money every month as equity for the house he's buying for you. And I know you say, well, it's already paid for. No, that's every month. You include that as part of his salary. Make some of it equity so that when he leaves, he'll have something to, to go with. I think you ought to talk to the guy. I had a guy one time tell me, an elder one time tell me at a church, if a man can't live on $300 a week, it ain't worth shooting. That's nice, isn't it? <laughs> he, uh, incidentally, the man owned his own company and made a million dollars a year, you know, but he, he, that was his attitude, though. Had an elder call me from a church in Georgia one time. They were hiring, wanting to hire a preacher, wanted us to put it on the scoop blog, and we talked a while, and I said, now, I'm not going to publish this, but I like to know because I like to talk to people. What are you going to pay the guy? He said, we're going to pay him 40000 a year. Well, that's okay, I guess. I said, you know, you can find a guy for 40000 a year because guys want to preach and they'll take what, what it takes. I said, but, I said, didn't that, is, can you, could you do a little better than that? He said, we could. He said, I own several companies. He said, I have a bunch of employees. I pay $100,000 or more a year. I just don't think preaching is worth that much. So you know what I did? I didn't post his job on their website, on our website. And I wasn't trying to be mean about it. But if you don't value that guy, it's going to show up. And it's going to show up not just in money. Talk about concerns. You know, talk about their concerns. Talk about what's going on in his life. Find out how he handles money. Give them some training, some advice along the way. All right, let's move forward. Verse 19. Dealing with difficult elders is how I titled that. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do your best. Uh, don't, do not be hasty. Well, that changed that verse, wouldn't it? Do not be hasty in laying on the laying on of hands. Do not take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Now, we could spend a whole session on this, but just two or three comments. The first one is this. There is a way for elders to leave, and there's a way for them to stay. And if you're a good minister, you're going to do your very best to make that work in a way that does not disrupt the congregation. And this verse, we sometimes think, is to protect elders. Uh, I don't think it is. I think it's to protect congregations. And if we're not willing to follow the scriptures, we ought to just, you know, take their name off the door and not follow them. But this, this verse is meant to be followed. If there's a charge against an elder, it ought to be brought up. But it shouldn't be brought up 
unless you've got some witness and watch carefully the verse, you must do it without partiality. Don't do it because you don't like the position a man has on some issue that's not a matter of right or wrong or you don't like the way he talked to you one time or you don't like something that he said. And notice the way he closes his section, keep yourself pure. All right, chapter 6, we've got about 10 minutes left and you've got about 8 minutes left of listening because you're getting sleepy. Verse 7, train yourselves, rather train yourself for godliness. Isn't that neat? This to a minister? One of the challenges that those of us who are in ministry face is how we determine how we're going to preach. Okay? Now, if you're young, pay attention. If you're old, pay closer attention, all right? How did you decide how you were going to preach? The style that you preach in. We have so very little training in the style of preaching. We're trained to preach the word. We're trained to preach the truth. We're trained how to outline sermons, how to put them together. We're trained to to understand the scriptures, to exegete them, to interpret them, to, to learn the languages. We're trained... but. But every preacher that preaches stands up on a Sunday and preaches. And we have very little training on how to actually do the act of preaching. And it is an art. I've been working on it for 40 years now and I still haven't figured it out. But there's certain things you do and you don't do. Now here's what happens, I think, in watching this through the years. A young man decides to preach and somewhere or another that word gets out. And somebody asks him to preach. And what happens after he preaches his first sermon? What happens after he preaches his first sermon? Anybody know? I didn't hear you. Still didn't hear you. Yeah, they get predictable. Get a lot of compliments. You're right, Brad. I mean, now who do they get those compliments from? Who you got it, Trent? The old ladies. The little old ladies walk out. Man, that was good. You're going to be a great preacher someday. You know, I often say, say that, uh, that there's those two parts in a preacher's life where they come to you and they say, someday you're going to be a great preacher. And they come to you and say, I bet you were a great preacher. For some of us, there's about three Sundays in between those two, okay? But for others, it's longer, I guess. But it's the little old ladies. And you hear it and you think, oh, that worked. And then you preach another time and you start kind of figuring it out and you figure out what they liked and what you said. And you, you start preaching that way. And I've heard old preachers sometimes say, and I consider myself an old preacher, so I'm not knocking old preachers. You know, I preached this sermon 40 years ago and it worked. It doesn't now. I wonder why. I'm preaching the same thing I preached then. I'm not having the same response I had then. Have you ever thought that maybe you should have changed along the way your style? Should have varied it some? I have a style of preaching that I love to use. It's a style I've worked on, learned, try to put sermons together that way, try to prepare that way. But I regularly, Jerry's not in here, else he could testify to it. I regularly change my style of preaching periodically away from the style that I most enjoy because I know that my style of preaching doesn't feed everyone. When um, About three or four years ago when Dan Winkler came to work with us, such a blessing, and here's one of the primaries was a blessing. I'm about as different from Dan as you can possibly be in style of preaching, and Dan's about as different from me as you can possibly be. And what I see is now I'm feeding a group of people when I stand up to preach, Dan's feeding a group of people when he stands up to preach. 
And praise God that we're different, but that we both feed different people. And I'm happy when he preaches because those people that I don't touch or reach with my approach to preaching, he does. And there are people, I believe it or not, I know that's going to shock you, that I reach that he may not reach. And so when it comes to your style, you know, preaching, uh, uh, John Piper wrote a book about 20 years ago called Brothers, We Are Not Professionals. It was a number one book among evangelical preachers for the year that it was written, Brothers, We Are Not Professionals. And I like the title and I like what he does with the book, but I kind of disagree with him. We may not be professionals, but we better act in a way that shows that we care about what we're doing. And sometimes we don't. And so we need to continue to craft. Anybody here in a, a, what, anybody here in a field of work where you have continuing education hours that you have to get? Anybody in here in a field of work, you have to have continuing education to do what you do well? You know, most doctors, most professionals, most... Most lawyers, most technicians, every year they have to go to, for more training, more training. And most of our preachers, we send them through two years of a Bible college or four years at a, at a liberal arts Christian college, and they get out and they, they never have any more training. They just kind of go through life. We've got to work hard. He says you are to immerse yourself in these things. You're to train yourself. Look at verse 15. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress be aware we're still having to grow. As a minister, you should grow throughout your life. Verse 8, godliness is of value in every way. Verse 17, charge them that are rich, watch it, not to be haughty, four things, not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on rich, the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us everything to enjoy, they are to do good and be rich in good works, be generous and ready to share. Um, Andy Stanley, who I don't agree with a lot of his theology, did a four-part series called You're Rich. If you're a preacher, you ought to look it up. Give him credit when you preach it, but it's, uh, it's worth studying. He actually took this verse and preached four lessons on the charge to the rich. And I bring that up to those of us who preach because if you're living in America today and you're preaching to people, you're preaching to rich people. And you, so we need to charge people that are rich. We don't need to be afraid of that. All right, that's First Timothy. Uh, we don't, we're not even going to try to go into Second Timothy and Titus. Our time is gone. Uh, we've got about three minutes left before I'm supposed to quit. So I'm going to stop here rather than try to tackle the rest of it. But uh, I thought, let's do this this way. Anybody have any questions or, or comments? And that's a dangerous thing to practice open mic night. But uh, anybody have anything they want to add or share or correct or instruct or I'm willing to listen to you. So that's a great question, Brad. So how do you clock out? Well, so you don't because um, the challenge of preaching, in my opinion, one of them is that uh, it's not like being a professional counselor. You know, I, I, I love counselors. I'm, I'm thankful for them. I've been to several and probably need to go to more, you know, but uh I'm a foul to them. And when they come in, I go in and I talk to them about my problems. They put a file together and they put my name on it. And when I walk out of the office, they take that file and they put it in a drawer and they don't think about me again until, the next, until an hour before the next time I come in or the day before I come in. We can't do that. Wish we could, but we can't. That person's not a file, they're a soul. 
And so when they come and talk to us about a problem, we have to carry it with us. Now, I think you should have um, diversions. My, my suggestion, and this is just Dell's suggestion, it's not a good one, is those diversions ought to, ought to forward your work. Okay? So uh, my dad said that uh, every time he got discouraged or bored or ready to move, he started something new. And so I went back and looked, and he started Birmingham Bible School for the Deaf and Jefferson Christian Academy and a day school and a Christian camp and a radio program in Central America and a television program in America and a graduate school to help preachers. And guess what? Dad must have been dissatisfied and bored a whole lot. <laughs> but, but, but I've kind of done that same thing, not really on purpose, but my diversions, when I check out, I write you know, or I sit down with a group of preachers and talk to them. So I think everybody's got to find some way to have diversion. If it's working on wood, that's great. I don't have that ability. If you can be a mechanic, congratulations. Jerry knows what a great mechanic I am. Uh, I, have, I, I do well to put my own gas in the car, and some of you think I'm not the man I need to be for that reason. I'm sorry, that's not what I do. So, you know, you should have diversion in your life. That diversion's up to you if it's not sinful. But I recommend you find a diversion that helps you even in your work to improve and be better at that. Anybody else? Yes, sir. Well, I've always found when they stop paying you, it's probably a good time to leave. Okay. Uh, you know, I think it's a very personal thing. Uh, I would say that about a lot of things. Um, and, and let me kind of unfold that a little bit here. Um, I know people who are at churches that I think are way too progressive, who aren't progressive at all, but who are fighting those progressive concepts. They're doing everything they can to hold, hold the line in those places. And I know people who are critical of those individuals. If the first time you ever saw anything that you thought was askew, you ran from it, you left, you'd be leaving all the time. I mean, because you, you would never find that place where you agree with everything that happened all the time. So it's an individual thing. I, I, tend, I would be a fighter. If I saw, saw things going in a bad direction, I would, I would stay and I would fight to the end. My wife is not. She doesn't like controversy. And it would be hard for her. So different people have different personalities on that. But I think it's up to you. I, one of the best pieces of advice I've ever gotten in ministry is let the elders be the elders. And I, I try to keep that in my mind all the time. I want to help guide them. I want to help train them. I want to help them grow. I want to share with them things. I want them to help me grow too. And that, that's an important thing that you... One of, the, one of the real keys, Eric, I think that will help you is with your leaders, be very transparent and say, I want to be the very best at what I do that I can be. The very best I can be. If you see things I can do to improve, let me know and let me know how to improve it. And when you do that and then you make those efforts to improve those areas, after a couple of years and a few times they've done that, you then will have the authority to say to them, 
You know, I told you a few years ago I want to be the best I can be, and y'all have told me this, this, and this. I've tried to get better at those things and correct those things. I, I assume y'all want to be the best leaders you can be. But it would be all right if periodically I shared with you some ideas, and that might be something that could help you in the long run. Uh, most elders, if they've seen you try to correct things in your... My elders bless me, and one way they bless me is they tell me where I'm not good. Uh, over the last six or seven years, Jerry knows there's been four or five things they've told me, don't do this or do this. And every time, I've done, every time they've done it, I, they've, it's turned out they were right. The most recent was two years ago. They said, we think you preach better when you have a slide deck. I, had to, I didn't know what a slide deck was, <laughs> a PowerPoint presentation or something. And I disagree with them. I don't think I preach better than one. I think people listen better when I preach than one. I have the same outline, the same manuscript regardless. So I don't think it makes my preach better. It makes them better as listeners. But so since then, there had not been two Sundays in the last three years at Spring Meadows, two years at Spring Meadows, three, count 2020, that I haven't had a PowerPoint or some sort of keynote or some sort of uh, prezi, which is my favorite of the three. So uh, during the pandemic, I started preaching without notes. And I preached for the last year almost now without notes. I, Brother Jerry, you've heard me talk about that. I wanted to preach out notes so bad it scared me to death. So I decided this was a good time to make that change. I've been doing it 40 years. Might as well try to do that. So I've been doing it for years. It's been fun to me. Uh, I think you ought to keep, keep, keep growing. I don't, that may not answer your question at all, but uh, hopefully it helps some. You know, it's up to you how long you stay and, and when you go. I advise preachers and this is just advice. I never want to resign at a place until I've got somewhere to go. Now, if it was a matter of doctrine that I just could not get around and, and could not make it through, I, I probably would, but I've never had that happen in my life, and I hope it doesn't happen in yours. Uh, even a matter of doctrine, I, I, I get, you know, I run the Scoop blog, and, and I get a lot of posts. We post right now close to 1,000 churches a year. Last year it was 1,200 churches looking for ministers. That's a lot of churches. And every once in a while I get a post from a guy leaving a place and say, but you don't need to post this job because they're a horrible church and their elders are rotten and no good and awful. Nobody should have to put up with those kind of men in their life. And my answer to that is, it sounds to me like those elders need a good preacher to work with them because they need to be better. Every church should have a guy. I want that church that's using instrumental music and women in, in leadership and worship to have a preacher that will stand in front of them and tell them the truth. I don't want to have a guy that's going to stand up and not tell him the truth. So I want every church to have a good preacher. I want every church to have a guy that's going to stand up and speak God's truth to those people. And you're not speaking God's truth to those people unless you're speaking the truth that those people need to hear from God's word. That's maybe more than I should say, but I did. Anybody else? You know, that's a great question. I would say in my life... My Sunday morning sermon, if it, if it doesn't get about 20 hours, I'd be shocked. But I'm different, and everybody's different in this. Some people are better at that than others. Some don't have to study as long. And the longer I preach, the more I have to study for some reason. I used to think it'd be less. But um, um, so I, will, I, will, I know right now what I'm going to preach in July, August of this year. I know way down the road what I'm going to preach, the sermon. And so as I get, knowing that, I listen and watch. I even heard something today that I thought, I'm going to use that. You know, I'll, I'll pick stuff up. I read an article this morning in 
uh, some magazine, and I read it, and I thought, I think I told Jerry about it. I think I'll use that sometime. I, so, but I know when I can use it, so I put it there. And usually, it's Thursday. I try to have my sermon outline done, which I do a fill-in-the-blank outline. I don't preach from outlines. I preach from manuscripts, even as a without using notes. I'm still preaching from manuscript. I just memorize the manuscript a little better. And I always put my PowerPoint present, presentation together on Saturday. Unless I know I've got a week where I'm not going to be able to do it on Saturday. And then I try to have it ready before then. But I put that. That's the last thing I do because I want it. I want, the, the slides help me. They prompt, they prompt me. They keep me going. And they're fresh in my mind if I do them on Saturday. So That's different for every person. Uh, I know some, some geniuses, some scholars that they don't have to do the hard work the same way I have to do the hard work because they have language skills that I don't have. And don't be embarrassed if you don't have language skills. You can still preach. Uh, I, I learned several years ago, some people have an ability with language and some people don't. I haven't mastered the English language yet. Uh, it's hard for me to... I'm, I speak Spanish really well. Uh, <clears throat> you just add an O to the end of every noun and an L or a La before each verb and you got Spanish, okay? I'm joking there. Every time I go to the mission field, some Spanish-speaking country, I leave saying, so I'm going to learn to speak Spanish. I want to do that. I want to be able to sit down in these people's houses and study with them and not have to go through an interpreter. And it, it just it hadn't taken. I don't, I'm not a language person. I wish I was. My son is. My son, Philip, is, he's great with languages. And that's what kind of helps me know. Some people have that ability. Other people don't. Uh, the first century was a miraculous spiritual gift. I'm going to get myself in all kinds of trouble with this statement. I still think it's a spiritual gift. I just don't think it's miraculous anymore. I couldn't be a doctor uh, because I have this, what they call, familiar tremor, and you would not want me operating on you with that thing going on, okay? Uh, some people can just fly through stuff. Uh, they, can, they have the mind to do certain things. I believe every ability we have is from God, um, and we need to return that ability to God. And I've gone not four minutes over time now, so I need to shut up. All right, let's bow Father, we're thankful for your word. We thank you, Father, for how it has molded us and shaped us. May it continue to make us what we want to be for you. Help us to grow throughout life. Help us, Father, to live our lives in an infectious way that will help others to be closer to you and to grow to know you and to obey your gospel. We thank you that someone loved us enough to share your gospel with us. I pray, Father, you bless this congregation and each congregation represented. Thank you for your church and what it means in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thrive, conference, series, podcast. To find out more, go to littlemountainministries.com.